You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Good evening. Uh, my name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you as well. Um, we're looking at the book of First Peter, and um, we've been talking about these churches that are up in Asia Minor, um, Turkey today. We call it Turkey, uh, northeastern Turkey. There are these seven different cities that Peter is writing to. He's mostly writing to converts um, from uh, paganism, from Roman paganism, Gentiles, and um, to kind of help you understand the type of person that he's writing to, I want you to try to imagine um, a Roman citizen, a, a wealthy landowner uh, outside of Cappadocia, one of those cities. And imagine this guy runs a large household with many servants. They all live under his roof. And uh, he goes to the gladiatorial games. He goes to toga parties. He goes to the Roman baths. He's happily married with a mistress. <laughs> Roman uh, men could pretty much do whatever they wanted, have whoever they wanted. It was just that kind of world, um, sexually completely, um, no rules at all. Um, a man was just, uh, every woman was at mercy of the appetite of any man. And so um, this, this man has a servant who becomes a believer, who, who follows this new uh, Christos, this, this strange uh, Messiah, Savior. And um, the servant has changed so much in character that the this man begins to wonder what's going on here. I mean, this guy was, a, he had lied, he had stolen, and now he's a, a very good, um, productive, um, respectful servant. And so because this man is uh, so intrigued by the behavior of his servant, he goes to the servant's house church and um, he hears a sermon and he realizes, uh, he hears like all of his sins exposed. And um, he, he confesses that, that Christ is Savior. And he goes through catechesis for a year. He gets baptized. They tell him no more baths, uh, no more gladiators, no more mistress. And so he begins to lose friends because his lifestyle changes so much. And um, his friends make fun of him. They call him, you know, unenlightened, naive, sexually repressed, a killjoy, not patriotic, not worshiping the gods, no longer bowing down to Caesar. Jonah mentioned this last week. Um, 1 Peter 4, 4, Peter says, when you no longer plunge with them into all their reckless dissipation, they cannot understand what you're doing and they vilify you accordingly. So in other words, this, this person is in the position of that very person that, um, that Peter's describing. Uh, someone who has given up on the empire and, uh, and is now being vilified, has, has lost uh, his influence, has lost his reputation, has lost his friends. And one day the church is gathered 
And uh, this man named Silvanus comes to town. And he's come from Rome. And he's carrying a letter. And the letter is written by Peter himself, the founder of the church. And so Silvanus comes, reads the church. And, uh, and this Roman citizen, this wealthy Roman citizen, hears, you know, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. And it helps him to understand what he's lost, what he's given up, and that it's, it's a trial from God, and that he's being purified, he's being tested by this, he's being made glorious by this. And you can imagine uh, how much that would bring comfort and encouragement and consolation. So I want to look at the fact that Peter says we're being purified by our suffering. Our suffering's not meaningless. Uh, it's not hopeless. It's not random. There's a purpose to it. It's to purify us. That's the first thing I want to look at. And the second thing is that um, the reason this is happening, the reason we're being purified, is because God has uh, unleashed a kind of a new level of judgment on the world. With the coming of Christ, and holiness as never seen before was unleashed upon the world. Um, and so as God floods the earth with his holiness, when, when that holiness comes into contact with our unholiness, uh, suffering will be the cause, will, will be the result. So first of all, um, you are being purified by your suffering. V- verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Now the word fiery is a strong word. Uh, it refers to very, very high temperatures that where you can actually get a metal to melt. And in this case, it's probably around 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit because he's referring to the testing of, um, of something like gold, of a precious metal. Uh, it says in verse 12, it has come upon you to test you. And test refers to the process of refining a metal like gold. So it's, it's talking about the process of burning away all the dirt and all the clay and all the iron off of some precious metal. That's what the word test refers to. And in Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-one, uh, we read that um, our sufferings are like fire that refines gold. So Peter's quoting, uh, or at least thinking about this proverb. This is part of Jewish wisdom, is that um, this suffering comes upon us, and it ends up leaving uh, this brilliant, weighty metal that is shining with luster. That's what our trials are making us glorious, is what Peter's saying, referring back to the wisdom of the Proverbs. Uh, Look at verse 13. He says, uh, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. I mean, imagine uh, rejoicing in suffering. James says rejoice in suffering. Paul says uh, rejoice in suffering. And now here's Peter saying rejoice in suffering. All three of these apostles suffered enormously. And Peter says rejoice in your suffering insofar as you're sharing Christ's suffering. So that you may also rejoice when his glory is revealed. So Peter's logic is the more you're sharing in the suffering of Christ, the more you're going to experience the glory of Christ. You rejoice in his sufferings and therefore you will rejoice when his glory is revealed. This this, uh, affliction we're experiencing right now is preparing something for us that we cannot imagine in the future. I wanted to look at what um, refining looks like. I've never um, really seen it before, so I went online and typed in, you know, refining gold. And what popped up was this uh, fascinating video from a company in London, one of the very few people in the world that that create 99.99% pure gold. It's called Baird and Company. And a lot of very wealthy people uh, have 
have these gold bars uh, that they get from this company. Because a single gold bar uh, can be worth as much as $10 million. So that's how weighty and beautiful this gold is. But uh, this, this ancient refinery in London, and, and the more the bar suffers, you know, as you watch it being processed through heat and chemicals and water and heat and chemicals, and the more the bar suffers, the more it becomes glorious and pure and weighty and deep and unshakable. And this is what Peter is saying, that our, our life, our sufferings are making us uh, more and more like Christ, that we're, we're sharing in, we're participating in his sufferings as we suffer. And it's, it's making us more solid people, uh, more substantial people. I, I can feel that in my own life. Uh, the more I suffer, I can feel myself becoming uh, heavier spiritually, uh, more unshakable or unflappable. The word for glory in Hebrew is kavod. It means to be heavy. And if you saw someone at Baird and Company holding one of those bars, they're massive. They're incredibly weighty. And that's what the fire of sufferings is causing us to be like. I, um, I've been listening to this, uh, this new podcast that I love, um, a guy named Glenn Scrivener. It's called Speak Life. And uh, I'm always finding new podcasts. I love podcasts. And this is my current favorite. This guy's Australian, turned British, Glenn Scrivener. And there was one recently where he was uh, analyzing an, a famous interview by Richard, uh, with Richard Dawkins. So this guy on Irish BBC radio, uh, Brendan O'Connor, uh, he kind of plays like a Columbo role where he's acting really stupid, uh, acting like he's kind of a simpleton. And he's interviewing Richard Dawkins, who's like the most famous atheist, this brilliant Oxford uh, biologist scholar. Um, wrote The God Delusion, among other books. And, uh, and, and Dawkins, at some point in the uh, interview, says that it, uh, it's wrong um, not to abort uh, a, a Down syndrome fetus, that it's actually immoral, he says. And Brennan O'Connor gets him to kind of change his wording there. You know, he asks him, well, how do you know it's, what's immoral? And, uh, and Dawkins says, well, it decreases the overall happiness of the world to bring that child into the world. It's going to bring pain to the parents, to the family. And people, you know, were infuriated by Dawkins saying these things. Um, but the thing is that in England, at least, 90% of parents do that. that 90% of parents screen their child and, and then will uh, rid themselves of that child uh, if it does have Down syndrome. So, you know, there's... A, it's understandable in a way why that choice is being made. I mean, I get it that your life as you would have imagined would be thrown out the window. So I'm not going to judge the people who made that decision uh, because in their mind, you know, I'm not going to have the career that I was going to have is going to be compromised. Um, you know, just going on dates, going out to eat, retirement, vacations, grandkids, all these things that I had thought about my life. It's not going to be that way anymore. Um, but when you get into that mindset, you realize it's, it's crazy. Um, because that's not what life is about. Life is not about living this American dream or having the kind of life that your neighbor has or your friends have. The, the purpose of life, according to Peter here, is to um, share in Christ's sufferings that will make you glorious, that will make you weighty. Peter's saying there's a, there's a deeper glory than all those things you would give up. Um, to raise a child like that. There's a much deeper glory that you can receive. 
that your sufferings create in you. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice when his glory is revealed. This is why Peter says we should not be surprised. Why would you be surprised? As though something strange were happening to you when these trials come upon us. A statue that's being you know, carved out of a big chunk of granite is not surprised when the lower half is cut. Because the, the statue knows that it's being made into this beautiful thing out of this block of granite. A painting is not surprised when a dark gray blob is added to the painting that will one day make it more glorious. And we should not be surprised when something comes into our life that's hard, knowing that God is making us more glorious. Uh, I saw this movie, thanks to Stephen Langford, uh, the, the Terrence Malick uh, fanatic in our congregation, um, and it's called A Hidden Life. I saw it with uh, several other of you, and I think he's going to do another viewing, so you, you can uh, sign up for that if you want. You can contact me or Stephen, but the, the, book, the movie's called A Hidden Life, and the director apparently said to someone, I think it was his wife before she watched it, arm yourself with patience. This is a three-hour movie, so you've got to be in the right mood when you watch this movie. It should be earlier in the evening. Um, but it's an absolutely gorgeous movie, and it has stayed with me uh, ever since the time I watched it. And it's a true story. It's about uh, an, an Austrian uh, na- named Franz Jägerstatter and his wife, Fanny. Uh, so Franz and Fanny, they, they are this very simple couple. They work on this uh, farm in, in Austria, in the Alps. Um, and and they, they live in this land of glory. There's these waterfalls, these jagged peaks. They have these three daughters. Um, and the, the, a lot of the movie is just showing scenes of, of them working together, playing together, laughing together, holding each other, looking at each other. Uh, if you know Terrence Malick, it's, that's a lot of what his movies are. There's not a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of beautiful music, beautiful scenery, these shots of this couple. And it makes you realize what a wonderful life they had, what a glorious life they had. But then, at one point in the movie, this plane flies overhead, and you realize that something terrible is on the horizon. Something dark is coming. And sure enough, uh, pretty soon, uh, the shadow of, of the Nazi empire begins to um, spread over the country of Austria. And, and the Nazis come, and, uh, and they, they recruit uh, all the, the men in the village, including Franz. And so... Um, he is called upon to join the Nazi army and to salute, to do the Heil Hitler, and he will not do it. He refuses to salute. He refuses to pledge allegiance to Hitler. And so um, his family is scorned. Uh, they're mocked. They're slandered. They're ostracized. Uh, everyone in the village uh, hates them now. Uh, he is imprisoned. And as he's imprisoned, uh, one Nazi uh, guard after another uh, tells him, look, Franz, you're, you're wasting your life for nothing. You have this wife and these children, this farm back home. Why are you, why are you doing this? This is madness. Just sign this little paper uh, that says that you uh, are willing to support Hitler, and then we'll put you in a job where you can serve food in a cafeteria or something like that. You know, no problem. I'll just sign this paper. And there was a time in the movie where I wanted him to actually sign that. I, I thought... Just do this and be released and go back to this wonderful life. But he won't do it. Uh, Franz will not do it. And, and the guards say, this is meaningless. No one will even know this happened. Which is ironic because you're watching a movie about the man. But the, the guards say, nobody will even know. This is, this is random. This is, 
This is crazy what you're doing. And, and this is where Peter comes in and says, no, we suffer according to the will of God. Verse 19, that every, every single stroke of that chisel is, is like, a, like a dentist when they're cleaning your teeth. They don't want to inflict any pain at all. They want to, to, um, to do the best job they can of cleaning you. But uh, that, that instrument is very, very carefully placed. Very, very carefully placed at just the right moments, just the right locations to make you glorious, to make you shine. Uh, we suffer according to his will. It's not random. He's a faithful creator. He knows you. He knows, he knows how he made you. And whenever he harms you, it's only for something much greater than that. And so Peter says, you can entrust your souls to him in verse 19. He ends this passage by saying, you can entrust your soul to your creator who knows exactly what you need. He, he made you. And, and every single day of your life, he has held you in his hands. He owns you. So, you know, contrast. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, the video of Jeff Bezos walking to his his. His rocket, which is the shape is very unfortunate. And I think it's a it's a symbol of power. I really think that it's, it's Bezos saying a symbol of his power and his potency. Um, but you know, there he is walking to his little his little rocket. And uh, one commentator said her her prevailing feeling was just that she was sad for him. <laughs> that this this man who was worth so many billions had to do that to make himself important. So you have Jeff Bezos walking to his little rocket. And then you have Franz Jägerstadter in a prison being beaten by guards and offering his food to his fellow prisoners. And you say, which one of these two is glorious? Which one of those two lives do you really, really want? I mean, what do you want to be like? Who is the weighty person there? If you're insulted for the name of Christ, verse 14, you're blessed. You're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We are being purified by our suffering. We're being purified. And the goal of life is to live and know how to experience suffering love. Suffering love of the Messiah. That's, that's, that's the goal of life. Is to share in that suffering and to have that glory. Paul says um, in 2 Corinthians 4.17 that this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. So that's number one. Number two, this is, this is occurring because God is flooding the earth with holiness. With the coming of Christ, uh, the earth is being full of, filled with the holiness of God. So look at verse 17. This is surprising. Uh, Peter says, after he says this stuff about we need to suffer, um, he says, for, because, it is the time for judgment. And the judgment begins with the household of God. So it is a time for judgment. You're, you're like, what does that mean? I thought when, when Christ came, judgment was over. But Peter's saying that judgment actually has come through Christ. And not only has judgment come with the coming of Christ, but that it is beginning with God's children, with the, with the household of God, with the family of God. And so what, is, what does that mean? I think what it means is that... Um, Parents are harder on their own children than on other children. And if you're a parent, you know this. Um, growing up, Cooper and Rosabelle grew up with Corey and Kevin Beck. Okay, if you know Steve Beck, we were on the same Sunset Drive. 
there were these other children. You know, there was Eli Calhoun. There was Zach Davis. But I frankly cared more about the holiness of Cooper and Roosevelt. And so when they showed disrespect, um, I was much harsher on them than when Corey Beck. Actually, she never did display any disrespect. But if, you know, if Kevin or Zach or Eli were rude or selfish or, or were made fun of another kid, I'd kind of let that go. I'd say, you shouldn't do that. But, but if Cooper or Roosevelt were, were making fun of, of someone else, I would take them aside and, and I would get in their face. And I would say, you cannot, that is not the way you must act. That is not the way we act in our family. And, and, and God is harder, much harder on his kids uh, than on those who are not. So if, if you're thinking about becoming a believer, just know that you're, that's what you're signing up for. Do not be surprised when the fiery trials come upon you because you're saying, I want to be part of that family that's, that's being disciplined all the time, where judgment, where holiness is coming into their lives. Amos chapter 3, verse 2, this is from the Old Testament, the prophet Amos. He says, only you, Israel, have I known from all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will discipline you for all your sins. In other words, because I know you, Israel, I will discipline you harder than the other nations. And so it's not strange that the life of a Christian is going to generally be harder than the life of someone who's not a Christian. Uh, because the, the fact that in the Old Testament, Israel was the only group of people that were the children of God has now been completely changed. And when Christ came, that went viral. And now it is like Israel has gone international. And so there are no children in any tribe or language or people or nation, every single tribe, language, people or nation, every man, woman, and child has access now to the holiness of God. God's holiness has flooded across the whole earth because when Christ died, there was a curtain and the curtain just shredded of itself. You may know that uh, famous, that painting by Banksy, remember that, that painting that he sold in that auction? And after he sold it, uh, it just shredded itself. I think about that. Um, this you know, million pounds or whatever it was, this person bought the painting. And right when they bought the painting, it just shredded itself. And the, holy, the, the, the most holy place, the holy of holies, when, the, when Christ died, the curtain just tore of its own accord. It just tore. And it, it was not so people could get into that place. It was so that the holiness could break out of that place. And the holiness would be let loose on the world. And a great depiction of holiness coming out of um, this place, uh, this holy place, is in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, I think it was 1981, I remember seeing that, that final scene, or almost the final scene, is one of those great moments in cinema that, um, as a child, it was shocking. And people actually said, before you go see this movie, watch out. There's this final scene that um, you've just got to prepare yourself for. And so what happens is, the Nazis have recovered the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, they know from the Old Testament that it was through the Ark of the Covenant that Israel waged all these wars and defeated all their enemies. And so the Nazis want the Ark of the Covenant as their secret weapon, and they get it, and they're about to unleash it and take the cover off of it. And as soon as it, and all their troops are lined up around uh, this general who's taking off the cover of the Ark, and as soon as he takes off the cover of the Ark, this light shines, and all these kind of angels come out. And uh, all the Nazi soldiers, their faces just melt. They're just destroyed by the holiness of the Ark of the Covenant. And um, I thought, what if there were people in that group who actually wanted the holiness of God? Who, 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 instead of it melting them, they actually were refined by that. 
The idea is that when God's holiness comes in contact with our unholiness, there's going to be suffering. But that can either be refining us or it can be annihilating to us, depending on your posture towards that holiness. And this is a hard verse, but verse 17 says if if judgment is this hard, you know, right now um, with the household of God. If it's that hard for us now with the fiery trials, it says, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God, who do not believe the good news, who reject the good news, who don't want any holiness, who refuse to ever uh, encounter God's holy love? That's a scary verse because what it's saying is that everyone will one day encounter holiness, that there's no way ultimately that we're going to avoid the holiness of God because we live in a universe that he created and we can kind of distract ourselves Uh, We can pretend that it's not there for a certain amount of time, but eventually we're going to all encounter the holiness of God. And verse 18 says, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly? And holiness can hit us in two different ways. Either it can be gradual, slow acclimation now with discipline, or it can be a final judgment with a sudden, just shocking encounter. You know, just like like a bug hitting a window. You will suddenly be hit by the reality of holiness. Not because God is mean or cruel um, or he likes to inflict punishment. Just simply because that is reality and you cannot ignore reality ultimately. But that's where this meal comes in. Where in this meal, uh, we believe as um, followers of Jesus that Jesus actually took that hit. That he was the one who was crushed by holiness. so So that through him we could be in the presence of God without being destroyed, without being annihilated. And one thing we misunderstand about the cross, we sometimes think that he came to soften the edges, that he kind of came to cool God's temper or to calm him down. Jesus was like, calm down, Father. It's, it's okay. You know, I'm going to die for them, and you don't have to be so angry with them anymore. Not at all. The reality is that the, the cross of Christ showed uh, the holiness of God just as much as it showed the love of God. That when we see, we see the Son of God hanging on a cross... Um, essentially receiving the effect of holiness, uh, encountering someone who is unholy, we say that's, what, that's how seriously God takes sin, that God would do that. That he would, that he would take this perfectly innocent man and they would absorb all, all of the punishment, all of the wrath, all of the unholiness. And that's why Romans says in Romans 3.25, Jesus sacrificed his life to show God's righteous demand. This meal we can say...